0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. And this morning we're going to talk about joy. And we're going to be mainly highlighting Isaiah 9, verse 3. And we're going to jump around a little bit. We want to ponder joy a little bit. And think about what it means to have joy. And I think I want to stay away from um, like a typical kind of approach, which would be like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with messages on joy or not, but it's like, well, there's a difference between happy and joy. Do you know the drill? And then you leave and you're like, man, I should really feel more joyful. I don't know why. Pastor said, "There's a difference between being happy and joyful." And uh, you know, I don't have that. And you leave feeling more guilty than you came in because you're like, "Gosh, do I have lasting joy in my heart? I don't know. And what does that look like?" So I kind of want to stay away from that typical thing. Kind of get it, get after joy. From uh, I, I, I got this vision this week, and, and today will culminate in sort of a uh, a really sweet way um, that will just be lovely. So, I want to get after it from, the vision is sort of like, what, what is joy from a Trinitarian, that's a theological word, from the, from, what does joy look like from the Holy Spirit? What does joy look like from Jesus? What does joy look like from the Father? And how do we experience that in our lives from those different viewpoints? Uh, specifically, around this time of year when we've said before that it's not the most hopeful time for a lot of people. It's not the most loving time for a lot of people. It's not the most joyful or peaceful time for a lot of people. It's not the Rockwellian, you know, big turkey on the table and Christmas decorations and trimmings. Everything's around and all this 1950s family with the dad with a pipe Hey, chum, and everything's all chummy and we all get along. Bless you. Sadly, it's not like that for a lot of families, for a lot of individuals. So what does joy look like in the middle of all of that? We would say, though, that real and lasting joy is a scarce resource in our culture. It's elusive a lot of times to us. It catches us by surprise sometimes, and other times we have to hunt joy down. Joy is something that we receive, but it's also something that we can hunt down and we can find. John Stott is a theologian, and um, he says about joy in his commentary on Romans, he says it seems really clear that the main mark of a justified believer is joy. Similarly, William Barclay says that a gloomy Christian is a contradiction of terms. A gloomy Jesus follower is a contradiction of terms. What does that mean? Does it mean that we have to be happy all the time? Does it mean that joy and sorrow are uh, divided by this impenetrable concrete wall? No. Joy and sorrow are mixed together. Uh, you know, scripturally, the sorrow may last for the day, but his joy comes in the morning. There could be seasons of sorrow in your life that are intermixed and intermingled with joy. So what, what are we getting at here? Here's the main sort of quote. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says that joy abides with God and it comes down from God and embraces spirit, soul, and body. And where this joy has seized a person, there it spreads and there it carries one away. There it bursts open closed doors. So let's read Isaiah 9 1 through 7 again. We've kind of been keying in on this throughout the course of our series together. And we read this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the, pa- uh, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the n- land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Here it is. God wants that God wants your joy to increase. That's God's desire for your life. And we see that in the per- the three people of the three persons of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that I felt like was important to talk about is that the Holy Spirit is the source of joy. A lot of times we get mixed up on where to find things. We get mixed up on where to find things. We get mixed up on where to find really important things like joy. And we start to cue in on things that may give us joy. And they may have been put there by God to give us joy. But we key in on it so much that we want to make it our joy. And the problem with that is that God hasn't designed those things to be our joy. God has designed himself to be our joy. The Holy Spirit is the source of joy in Galatians Five, twenty-two, twenty-three. 23, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy is born from the Holy Spirit. It's not born out of pretending everything is just fine. But from holding both hope and truth together comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from our own efforts or imagination or our family upbringing. The Holy Spirit says in this verse, here's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. The Holy Spirit says that, he, that the seed that he dropped in your life grows and grows. And when it ripens, the fruit of that little seed is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. You receive the word, Paul writes, in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because of its source, there's power in a joy-filled life. Joy is like medicine to our soul. It's contagious as well. And when you get around others who are filled up on joy, it can't help but be transferred. Our own Cindy Swan is a characteristic of that for me. I don't know about for you, for those of you who know Cindy Swan, I get around Cindy, and whatever kind of day I'm having, I feel like all of that goes away because of the smile on her face and this joy in her heart. And at first, in my flesh, I'm like, this is is not real. You know, Cindy's putting on an act for me. But I know, Cindy, and I know that there's a joy that resides in her heart, and it changes my outlook on the day. No matter what I'm going through, joy is like that. Joy is contagious. The Holy Spirit is the source of that joy. Charles Spurgeon says that the Holy Spirit's joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. How beautiful is that? If life is not working... There's a good chance it's because you don't have joy in your life. The Holy Spirit's joy will beautify you and give you influence over the lives of others in ways that you can't imagine. To live life, for life to work, for the gears to start turning, we need to have a center. And the Holy Spirit's joy is that center most people believe that pursuing joy is a dead end, but I wanted to, in in our culture, but I wanted to read to you this um, this quote from C.S. Lewis, from his book The Four Loves. Have any of you read that before? He writes this: To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love anything, your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact. You must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap your heart carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable the alternative to tragedy or at least to the risk of tragedy is damnation the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell if you seek joy your heart will be broken if you detach it dehumanizes you It hardens you. Where does that leave us? What's the way forward then? Christian joy is centered in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of joy and is the way forward. Jesus is the good news of great joy. Again, you've probably heard more theologically deep sermons than this. There are many learned men even among us and on podcasts who could give you deep Greek Hebrew thinking on joy or peace or hope. I'd love to give you some deeper answer, some richer theological nugget. But I'm here to tell you this morning the same message the angels told the shepherds, that Jesus is the good news of great joy. Jesus is the good news of great joy. Luke 2, verse 9 through 14, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes." Lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Today, how many of you need to hear this morning, Today, in the town of Bethlehem, joy is waiting for you. Regardless of what, even though depression isn't the antithesis of joy, it's not the antonym of joy, How many this morning are locked in depression or oppression and need to hear this morning, Jesus is the good news of great joy? The good news of great joy is not found in a better job or climbing the corporate ladder. The good news of great joy is not found in a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. The good news of great joy is not even found in being a great parent. Pat yourself on the back. The good news of great joy is found squarely in the person of Jesus. The coming of of Jesus into the world. The Word made flesh is this grand cosmic journey to extend the Father's heart towards men and women. Think of the journey that joy, God's joy, has been through just to get to you this morning. The journey of God's joy has endured the separation or the severing of relationship between God and men and women in the garden. And even then, God is expressing his heart to Adam and Eve saying, This isn't the end. I'm going to get to you one of these days. You watch. There's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem and his foot will crush the head of the serpent with joy. He's even going to be born in Bethlehem. The city of warrior, the warrior city. He will crush the head of the serpent, and after that, God's joy his heart doesn't change moves along in a journey and works through the poverty and loneliness of the manger to extend his heart towards us. This is towards us. This is what my joy looks like," God says. A little helpless baby in a feeding trough. Born in the middle of nowhere. Not born in some palace where wealthy kings sit. But born in a manger where there are smells and animals. How lovely this morning, Sharon painting the scene. Not some well-kept palace swept up for the day. God's Joy journeys through the poverty of the manger and then doesn't stop there to get to us, to express God's heart towards us. Then endures the distress of the cross, the agony of the cross, right? For the joy, for what? For the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross for us. For the joy set before him. What joy is that? Where's the joy in that? The agony of the cross. The joy is of leading you and I, of leading many sons and daughters to the Father's presence. He was apart from the Father. He goes to the cross, gives his life at the cross, and then is joyous He's, well, he's dead first. He's dead in the ground and then is raised up and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says in John 14, Oh, how I long I'm apart from the Father. But if I go away from you, if you knew why I was going away from you, right? In John 14, you would rejoice that I'm going away from you because I'm rejoicing. I'm going to get to go back to my Father for the joy set before him. And there he sits down and he rules so that we can sing. He rules the world. He rules the world. Herod doesn't rule the world. Pilate doesn't rule the world. No government, no political system that's instituted today rules the world, nor any government of tomorrow. He rules the world. Jesus rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. That joy would come to us. The wonders of His love. That joy would settle on someone like you or like me. The wonders of His love. His joy is unstoppable. You can't stop it. That's... That's the Father's heart. You could try, oh yes I can, I'm going to stop God's joy from getting in me, I will. We try and stop it, we bury ourselves in drink, we bury ourselves in substance, we bury ourselves in hobbies that are good, that are all well and fine, but we bury ourselves in it to stop the joy of God from getting to us. And God's heart towards us is like, you can't stop it. You can't stop it, Satan. You can't stop the joy of God from penetrating your heart. There is no heart that God has made that is so callous where the Lord cannot break through with his joy. I've seen it in my life and many of you have seen it in yours. The joy of God is unstoppable. It's going to get you. Watch out. The hound of heaven is chasing you down. He's he's pursuing you more with His joy than your desire to bury yourself away from Him. Joy is the affirmation of the thing that is truer than any trouble, any affliction, the affirmation that love wins. Jesus is as good as we hope. He's worth it. And every stinking thing is going to be redeemed in the end. So we shine in new creation. Because God raised Him from the dead and made Him sit at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And He has put all things, every single thing under His feet and has made Him, Jesus, the head over all things for the church. Jesus Christ is the King of... Of the universe. And there's nothing Satan can do about it. Right. Lastly the father rejoices over me. I would say the father rejoices over you. But I want you to personalize it. As you write that. Would you write that. And you're fill in the blank church. The, the father rejoices over me. We need to hear. That the father rejoices over me. This is my most favorite Scripture verse of all time. I didn't even know it existed until one young lady put a card on my windshield when I was drunk and frigid inside without any love in my heart. Along comes Sarah. Oh, I think you'd like this card. I never knew this verse existed. There weren't, there weren't statements like this in the Bible. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. Bear with me some of you who have been around Vineyard Cleveland and have heard this bit before because there are some who needed to hear it fresh this morning. Our God is the God who rejoices over us with singing. He, rejoices, he delights in you. The Lord, who? The Lord, Yahweh, the God of gods, the creator of everything, rejoices over you, takes great delight. In you. The mighty warrior is with you. Where is he? He's with you. This translation in the Hebrew, the Lord God is with you, is the Hebrew word is that he's in your nearest part. You love that? He's in your nearest part, closer than your next breath, closer to you than your next thought. You can't get to your thoughts quicker than God can. Ah, hot dog. He's with you and he will take great delight in you. There's pleasure from the heart of God when you look to him and say, let's spend 15 minutes together. There's pleasure in the heart of God. Oh, no, not yet. This is the best part. There's pleasure in the heart of God. He's not just tolerating you. He's not just saying, oh boy, I've got to spend time with Pete again. Oh, great, here comes Josh. Oh no, it's Sharon again. Man, I wish she would just leave me alone. Does that really sound like the heart of a father to you? He takes great delight in you, he rejoices over you with singing. What does that mean? The Hebrew verse, the Hebrew translation for taking great delight in you, rejoicing over you in singing is wild spinning, wild dancing that the Lord rejoices over you. He's like this cosmic cheerleader. He's that annoying friend that you see down the street. Not in public. He's like, Justin, Justin, there you are. I haven't seen you in 30 minutes, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're like, no, God, not in public, not this time. He rejoices over you with wild dancing and singing. That's the heart of the Father towards us. Uh, That's who God is. But so often we separate ourselves. And we read it like, this uptight British theologian, but he will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) And we think that's all well and good. I get it. I have an intellectual knowledge of the love of God. What good is it if I don't kiss Sarah goodnight? Spouses, I love... You say to your spouse, I love you intellectually. Very With all of my head. I'm not devaluing the thinkers. In the, can you level with me? I'm not devaluing the thinkers in the room either by, by saying this. But the joy of God has gone through this journey from before time to express that He takes great delight in you and rejoices over you with singing. That's the Father's heart towards us. In Daniel 9 we read that the Lord sends Daniel this response, and his response is this, O man, woman, greatly loved. O man, greatly loved. That scripture changes everything. Where are you? Are you living in joy this morning that comes from relationship with God? Psalm 27.10 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. The Lord will receive me. You can be brought near this morning. You can have the Father's smile on your life. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you have a but now in your life? A turning point where you can honestly say to me, Eben, this was true for me before. I was apart from Christ. I was outside of God's family. I was without an inheritance from God. I was without hope. I had nothing to fall back on other than myself, but now I'm in relationship with Christ. I'm part of God's family. I have something to look forward to other other than what my family has given me. I have hope. Best of all, I have God. Can you say this about yourself? Are you confident that these things are true of you? Then you can find joy no matter what. No matter what. And if you can't say this, I'd like to pray with you this morning. I'd like to give you an opportunity to come into relationship with the, vi- the violently, wildly turning Father who expresses His heart and joy over, He rejoices over you with singing. I want to invite you into relationship with that God, with Yahweh, in the person of Jesus you say I look around my life I can't I'm not given my life to Jesus and you want to do that would you pray with me Jesus I love you I admit that I've I've done life on my own and I want relationship with you I confess that I've offended You. And I bring those offenses to You and lay them down. Also, the ways that people have offended Me, that have hurt Me, I bring those things to You and I finally lay them down. I believe, Jesus, that You are who You said You are. That You are the God of joy. And You want Your life to be in Me. And Your joy to overflow in Me. Would You come... And overflow my life with joy. And if you prayed that with me, would you picture something like a door over your heart. And open the door of your life. Open the door of your heart and your mind. You say, come and live inside of me. Holy Spirit, come and be the source of my joy. I don't want to find joy in anything other than you. Come and be the source of joy in my life.